Hello and welcome to Discourse, WCTV's new platform for community discussion on town issues and politics. I'm WCTV Executive Director Sean Neville, and I'm happy to have as my guest today State Representative Dave Robertson. Dave, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me, Sean. I appreciate it. Uh, Dave, you a lot to talk about. You won the seat back in November. Let's just start broadly. How sure. is the job going so far? Oh, uh, excellent, excellent. It's uh, absolutely an honor to serve the folks of Wilmington and those of Tewksbury. Um, as you know, as the folks know, I, I spent a long time working for Representative Maselli, learning the lessons, the uh, nuances of day-to-day, -day and uh, hit the ground running. Um, you know, I uh, was kind of surprised. I, uh, I was back there. I took the next day to collect my yard signs from around the neighborhoods. I figured people didn't want to see my name after they had seen it for so many months, and then went right back to work at the State House, hit the ground running. Yeah. So you, you mentioned you know, all the years you spent with, with James Maselli. How much of that do you think prepared you for the role? And are there parts of the role that you now have the job you're, that you are maybe something you didn't expect that, from, from being up there? 100%. I, I, he, he absolutely, 100% taught me everything. Um, like I said, I, I, my, my professional training is political science and another degree in economics. But um, what you learn there in the trenches getting your hands dirty, it didn't compare. Yeah. You know, always get back to somebody, always make yourself available, covering the events. Um, miss, the, miss the hell out of them, but mm -hmm. lessons will stick around for life. So yeah. it was uh, shipped up one gear higher and uh, keep the pedal down and keep moving forward. Good. Um, talk a little bit about the, the committee works, the committees that you've joined since you've become a state sure. rep and, and what sort of work those committees might be doing and, and, and what, what you're up to up there. So, so there's four committees that I serve on. Um, I have set around the telecoms, utility, and energy. And our current big focus right now is the energy prices folks pay in Massachusetts. We're about anywhere from, depending where you are in the state, 10, 20, 25% higher. Uh, and a lot of that discussion revolves around the current state of our infrastructure, our sources of generation, whether or not um, you know, there would be an extension of the Pilgrim nuclear plant, if it could be replaced efficiently by wind, our natural gas shortage, all of that. Uh, I also serve on the Committee on Workforce and Labor Development, which handles a lot of issues around labor uh, unions, workers' rights, um, employers' rights, and that kind of nuanced balance between what's growth and what's considered fair pay for a fair day's work. Um, I'm proud to be on all my committees. I really am. Um, I'm also on the energy, excuse me, the environment, natural resource, and agriculture, which handles a lot of things. Uh, regarding pollution and preservation, and that's been instrumental a lot um, with helping me prepare for still ongoing battle on oil and chemical, which uh, we can delve into a little bit later in the segment. And then um, I'm not supposed to have any favorites, but my favorite committee is the departments on, uh, excuse me, the uh, committee on the Department of Veteran Services mm -hmm. and Federal Affairs. Um, even though I'm not directly a veteran myself, uh, that's a special one. Uh, we, we do a lot. Um, I've had some legislation come forward. I've spoken on uh, a number of key issues before my own committee, and um, that, one's just, that one's just special because everybody that comes in there who's a veteran given up so much already. So it's nice to be able to kind of let them take a step back and step up and fight for them in that moment. Mm -hmm. And that really is one of my, like I said, selfishly my favorite one. Yeah, what's well, important work? I mean, there are, it's all important work, right, of course, but I, but I, but I understand what, what, what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's special to serve those who have uh, given up, you know, uh, whether by choice or whether they were drafted. I mean, it really is just quite nice to be able to return a small part of, of what they contributed to the greater good. So. Right. 
You, you mentioned Owen, so let's just go there next. Sure. And, and I think there's a, some frustration with people in town with what they don't know. There's some uncertainty with what's going on. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure people at both the state and at the federal level are fighting for the, for the cause of Absolutely. people here in Wilmington. What is the latest with this site and, and what can people, what assurances can you give them that this site is going to be cleaned up properly you know, eventually and that nothing's going to happen before, before that happens? Well, it was seemed like something great at the time, but I want to have the viewers and I want the people understand in town. Uh, I, in my own personal view on Olin, is cautiously, cautiously optimistic with the promotion on the EPA administrator's list to what's considered a priority site. Now, I saw some folks saying that, well, they're going to come, they're going to dig down 100 feet, lift all the soil out, they're going to replace it, they're going to plant native plants and all that. No. What it means is it's currently expedited for earmark. So I was actually very concerned, as was Senator Tarr and um, Representative Gordon and a lot of the town officials, that when we started digging, and then I got into it, and I still remember talking with Senator Tarr on the phone about it, saying that this is great to have it focused on tension, but it says right on the EPA's website, there is no additional funds that become available with this. What does this mean? It was a bit of concern. Since then, the EPA has been down. They spoke at the Board of Selectmen meeting a couple weeks back, and I was there, as was, um, I believe, uh, Mr. Shaw from, from Senator Tarr's office, and there was representatives from across the state, and we had a frank discussion with the EPA administrator. Um, a lot of our concerns were kind of assuaged, and what it really means right now is the EPA views this problem as going on too long, which I agree, and I think the vast majority of people in Wilmington would like to see some sort of resolution. Of course, we want to see our resolution put forward, but they're finally throwing up their hands and saying, the bureaucracy is going nowhere. The plume's spreading. The folks at Olin have finally admitted that this plume is much larger than they thought, and yet still not a damn thing's being done about it. And it's kind of nice to see the federal officials finally perked up and I mentioned before um, in an op-ed that Congressman Moulton's been involved and, and has been in good communication, but it was nice to finally see the executive agency, the EPA itself, take that same concern and all of a sudden say, enough's enough, Olin. It's time to really start making a difference here. Which direction we go is now going to be our next battle. And that's fine. It was getting frustrated, though, trying to guide a, a ship that was not moving forward. Now that we're finally starting to see some movement forward, the opportunity to push it in the right direction to make sure that it's the type of development and addressment that the folks in Wilmington deserve after suffering so long as the one that occurs, mm -hmm. it will be actually be possible again. So I, I'm very I'm happy to see the EPA is taking note for it. Currently, right now, they're reviewing to see what exactly happened and what the next step is and what Olin's willing to do. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, I was told we're going to have to hold tight for a very short time, but you know what? At least I know what the EPA is doing and what Olin's doing and how we can affect that for a positive change here in town. Do you think we'll see some uh, real updates coming with the next, with, by the end of the year? Or? Oh, yeah, okay. without question, okay. without question. And I still act as the, as the squeaky wheel here with the EPA mm -hmm. and just constantly bother them because what that shows is not just a concern for the folks too, but it builds a rapport with them after some time and they, they know that we have investment that's just beyond finances like Olin does. And I'm not saying that's Olin's only concern, but as a private corporation, that's what they're founded to do. And it's my job, and it's the local official's job, and it's Senator Tars and Rep Gordon's job, and it's why they ran for the seat, to represent Wilmington. So I want to make sure that the people whose interests are Wilmington, and not a dividend of a stock, 
are the ones who are constantly being heard. Mm -hmm. And another issue that I, I saw you um, appear at a selectman's meeting uh, was on the North Wilmington train station, mm -hmm. and uh, cer certainly not as big as a, of a health threat as, as the Olin site is, uh, but certainly a, a, a pu public emergency or, or uh, concern with fire engines and ambulances getting Absolutely. through. Talk to people about um, what what the latest is with with that proposal, because I know there were thoughts of, of kind of reducing some maybe some stops at that site right. to, to make that as, as a, a short-term solution, but what else is going on there? Sure. So, um, I, I mean, I argue, honestly, Olin, Olin has long-term and very real impacts, and I think it's going to haunt us longer than a lot of folks want to admit, and hence why we need to push for it. But the North Wilmington train station is a still a, a direct, and I, I think you're right, it's almost equitable, but maybe not quite as Olin, because we, we had a fatality due to a holdup from an ambulance response once. And... That's concerning. There's no way in, in a town that's been around for hundreds of years should something like this be an issue. I thought it was originally to be as simple as moving the train north, but it's a bit more complex. And the Cliff Notes version for someone that's watching us today, but hasn't quite kept up with the, with the debate or with the, uh, with the issue on hand, is that the train pulls right up to the road, and the way the grade crossing, which is the actual signal arms that come down, is triggered, is that it comes down, they let someone off the platform and the entire time traffic backs up. And the way the signal arms are, it's difficult for an ambulance or a fire truck to maneuver and snake their way through. So we said it's pretty simple. Let's move the train north. Well, the way that the MBTA signal infrastructure is laid out, that would be a multi-multi-million dollar venture. And the MBTA, and even myself, agreed to an extent that the fiscal, fiscal price for the amount being used was unjustifiable. And we came across another nuanced problems. The Americans with Disabilities Act, which is a great piece of legislation and has opened up accessibility to everybody, requires that any public project that exceeds a certain threshold in percentage terms of the original cost to build it, when it's being upgraded, must also be made ADA compliant if it's not. So most town assessors put down a assessment of zero dollars for a train station that's not theirs, it's the state. They're collecting no tax revenue on it. They do it just to have the form on file. So that accidentally triggers that we'd have to bring it up to ADA compliance. And the federal government said ADA compliance for a train station is a full 80 some odd foot, hmm. six foot platform, the entire length, which is an absurd price tag. We were talking well over $10 million for it, plus the infrastructure to move the signal, plus lighting, plus anti-slip mats. So Senator Tarr and Rep Gordon and I had a series of phone calls um, along with Chair Kyra, uh, or acting Chair Kyra, uh, because Chair Bendel, um, while he's been very involved with it, uh, asked uh, Mr. Kyra to step in for a meeting. And then with the folks, the general manager of the MBTA and all these interested and interested parties. And we came up with a solution. And currently, we're applying for a waiver. And basically, it would say to the federal government, 80 some odd people use this a day, 40 in the morning and 40 off. And it's been fairly consistent. And the T, I found that, has taken quite a historical look at developing these numbers. And what we're going to do is actually renovate a piece of an old bridge. And what they do is the old prefab concrete bridges, they're in great shape. The MBTA bought them basically at a fire sale rate, refurbishes them, and they happen to be the exact right height when placed on a concrete slab for when a train pulls up. Hmm. Most people don't know it, but they did it for the Cape Flyer. They've done it down in Framingham and Worcester and other, other of these places, which all of a sudden had what they referred to as a miniature high platform and mini high. Mm -hmm. 
are actually these old bridge, bridge segments, and they can be built within a week. Hmm. They build the base for the, for the platform, they build the infrastructure up to it, which is usually running an electrical line. They make sure there's a ramp that people who are wheelchair bound might be able to use sufficiently, and all of a sudden, we're within compliance. So the plan is, is to apply for this waiver and it constructs the station several hundred feet up the road. That's step one. And then step two would be changing the signal infrastructure. Because the MBT has a, has, has a point. It's not so much, dare say, the folks in Wilmington, but sometimes Boston, believe it or not, is known for a little bit of aggressive driving, and they want to make sure there's sufficient time for the arms to come down by the time the train reaches speed. And they said if they release the arms now, they worry that if the arms come down, people walking, pedestrians, whether it's going to the general store or going to the RMV, or cars are going to try to beat the train in a rush. Mm -hmm. And it's going to result in someone getting hit by a train or a signal arm coming down on the car or something. Mm -hmm. It's just too close. We don't have enough breathing room. So that would be step two. And I've already reached out to uh, Siemens, which is the company that does a lot of the MBTA. We've spoken with the MBTA engineers about what that vision for an improved signal grade crossing and a final real, absolutely permanent solution for that training station will be in the end. Okay. I'm very much under the philosophy there. If you build it, they will come, especially with how popular Central Wilmington Station is down the street. And uh, with the price of housing in Boston, more people are just going to be coming out here. And I'd love to have a second train station where people would, would choose to commute out right, of. And right, I think yeah. there's real opportunity there for it. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's it's often seen as you know, uh, yeah, the, the secondary or a lower train station than the, exactly. than the, the main Wilmington station. It's and second tier, but it has potential there. Okay. It certainly does. All right, good. Um, another thing we had just talked about um, before you came on was some uh, Route 38 improvements and, right. and working with the town and the state and trying to figure out the funding for that. What can you tell folks about that? Sure, absolutely. So the town conducted a plan, and they through the uh, Metro Boston Planning Agency, which um, handles. Wilmington to south of the city, uh, they lobbied and have been granted to be put on the TIP list. And TIP is just short for Transportation Improvement Project. It consists of um, Burlington and, and Main Street all the way up to the town line. Um, addresses a number of failing, inter uh, failing intersections. Uh, the worst one is the Butters Row Bridge, which my introduction, my first ever road lesson was going across Butters Row Bridge, and that was uh, a trial by fire. And that was 14, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. and that was already at a failing grade. The intersections become worse, but it's, it increases, um, and, just as, and people can see the review online. We're talking about putting bike lanes, expanding the sidewalks, expanding the travel lanes to allow for a, uh, not for typically a higher speed, but a more uh, fluid way of driving. When people have more room to maneuver, it tends traffic flows and there's less mm -hmm. brakes being tapped and there's less slowing down expanded turning lanes for people. So folks trying to pass the, the tire store at Firestone and that they don't get caught waiting up for a left turn onto Burlington Ave or who are trying to take a left turn don't get caught up in the straight slash right turn lane. Mm -hmm. um, signaling upgrades, pedestrian safety improvements, especially after that poor woman was struck crossing from Wilmington Center running across the street, mm -hmm. um, changing the grade. So folks approaching the bridge will have a safer sight line, not just for pedestrians, but also for cross traffic, mm -hmm. so that folks taking the left turn up Burlington um, in 62 won't be you know, running the risk of, it's basically a, a suicide gap at this point. And for those who are coming down the main street, will have a smoother flow. 
coming across the represented Maselli Bridge. Mm -hmm. How do we alleviate that backup, which now goes all the way up to the town line? It's, right. it's absurd. I, I, I go the back roads. Anyone that's a real local can go the back roads, but you know what? Sometimes you just have no choice, and 15 minutes of your life later, you finally reach the intersection just in time for it to turn red for another cycle, and you have to wait again. So the, the name of the game with that project is all about improving traffic flow and improvements. And, um, I think it'll be instrumental, it'll inject a little life, it'll help the commercial businesses along that strip because um, it was particularly interesting, but the select board worked with the UMass Donahue Institute about why there's some economic stagnation. Mm -hmm. Not only did they find out what the people of Wilmington were asking for in terms of what they would like to see in commercial offerings, the number one sided issue for people buying stuff and why didn't you go next door to spend more money? I didn't want to mess with Route 38. Yeah, that was the number one response. So I think that gives brilliant insight to a problem that seems apparent to a lot of us, but mm -hmm. is affecting us in real dollar terms and the livelihood of people who took the risk to invest in a small business right here in town. Right, and I think if you can give any any sort of relief in traffic, it will be welcome news for everybody. In Absolutely, I, 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 you know, I'll get Elon Musk on the phone and we'll bore a tunnel right down thirty eight. But uh, kidding aside, there's some great real looks being taken at it and. There's another uh, couple other things, minor things. Um, you know, I asked uh, the folks in DOT and some of the regional planning to take a look at, um, and this seems to, it's a very, very small strip of Route 38, but it came up a couple times knocking doors, and once it dawned on me, I realized it's odd. Right outside Market Basket, we go from two lanes to one to two again mm -hmm. for the entire strip. People, why, why is that? It's a great question. Um, and I also asked them to take a look at reviewing the traffic light for Starbucks uh, slash the uh, Panera Bread on the other side. Um, when we were out campaigning, there was a lot of uh, times we waited there with bated breath because someone would just yep. take a left across two lanes of traffic and we all braced for impact and uh, a lot more closer calls than should have been occurring at that intersection. Yeah. So oh, good. that's the next, the next focus of mine on Route 38 once the first part's wrapped up here. Great. Um, Obviously, the, the state budget is a big part of the early part of the session. I know yes, it sir. is. It is almost done. Um, I guess, what can you tell constituents, uh, one, about the overall health of the state right now, sure. and then two, any, any pieces for the district that are coming back this way? Sure. So we were surprised in the short to midterm, the next couple months, um, revenues, well, rather retroactively over the past couple months, revenues kind of exceeded uh, in terms of, of people spending, which was a bit of a shock. Um, like I mentioned, economics is my professional training, and there was a little worry with consumer confidence, and typically that means reduced sales revenue and, and what have you, um, which was great. We immediately addressed that, and it's a budget I'm proud of because it makes investments in a way that I view um, are truly investments that will pay dividends down the line. It provides local relief. For folks who like yourself, are very politically savvy. You've been following a lot about our discussion about education budget review. And even for folks who politics might be just a couple minutes within their week, have undoubtedly seen that cities and towns are saying, we haven't had an upgrade to our budget since, and, and not to make any of our viewers or supporters feel it, since I was back in school. Mm -hmm. And it's getting to the point now where cities and towns are saying, you are asking so much of us and giving us so little in the way of resources, we're thinking of taking legal action. So, um, Speaker DeLeo and, and the governor and the Senate president 
all on Board of Education, of course, myself. There's no one up there on Beacon Hill who gets up there every day and puts on their dress or their shirt and tie and says, I need to find a way to decrease educational opportunity. Uh, had a great debate. And we're currently going through what's called the Promise Act. But with a focus to the budget, we immediately increased the cap on students by 50%. We gave an extra $271 million out to the towns. Now I'm a big fan of this. One, because an educated student is competitive. It breeds all sorts of investment in Massachusetts. It brings the top companies. It brings brand new small businesses with kids who are educated, had visions that you or I or other folks had never seen before. But most importantly, it promotes self-sufficiency. On the other hand, in the moment now, it also helps alleviate property taxes here because schools are by far and away the most expensive part of any local budget. And I know folks here constantly say, well, my local taxes go up. I love Wilmington. It's my home my entire life. My family's fifth, five generations, or I just moved here and I had kids, but I need to downsize and frankly, I can't float it anymore. Well, there's no more just promises and empty air. The state immediately, like I said, you know, granted almost an extra million dollars hmm. per district right off the bat. And that's not including our increases to chapter 70 or unrestricted local aid and, or excuse me, uh, chapter 90, which is also road funding. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something we can talk about in a little bit is, is you know, um, Wilmington has a, a unique issue with unincorporated ways. And I know the locals are working hard on that and they've approached us on the state level. But we're focused on the budget. I'm very, very, very happy with the investments made in education, with the investments made towards ensuring students with special needs are supported, because that's quite often a point of contention in schools also have to typically stretch the dollars further to provide those services. And I know stretch in a lot of places are almost broken, but you're trying, trying to fund it. Absolutely. It's important programs, but they're also expensive programs to run. Very much so. And every, every kid deserves an education. No child has to be put in a set of circumstances like that. And I'm proud that Massachusetts even far exceeds other comparable states in education with what we do for children on IEP or 504. But like I said, the budget had a local focus. Um, in a more kind of broad macro sense, and I thought that was exactly what was needed. It's in the governor's hands now. We'll see what he strikes in the line items, and we'll be debating the override, but I'm very proud of the steps that we made towards investing in education. So we're serious about that, serious that we're um, showing and mitigating the cost of living on a local level and uh, making those direct investments. And uh, through cooperation with uh, Rep Gordon and Senator Tarr, we even managed to get some funding in to help out the Bazell Senior Center make some improvements to the kitchen, to make some improvements in terms of uh, ADA compliance if they want to do so. And I know that's a well-used, very well-loved building, to put it diplomatically, mm -hmm. and it could use a little shot in the arm to keep it going because uh, Terry Marciello and her staff and the people in, the, in that building, they're, they're wonderful. So mm -hmm. I'd love to see a community gym like that kind of get polished and buffed up and really shine as it should. Well, that's great. I'm sure. I'm sure Terry will, will stretch every dollar that you can get her, and, uh, and she's make a magician that place with that. Great. Good. Um, I want to ask you to bill, about a bill that WCTV is behind. You were one of the first co-sponsors to sign on to the House Bill 4389, which is an act relative to digital entertainment on public rights of way. And just to give the viewers a, a very basic outline of this bill, um, but it would impose a small fee on streaming providers, which sell their content via the same wired infrastructure that brings people traditional cable television, but aren't held to the same regulations as cable TV mm -hmm. is. For those who don't know, cable television, cable fund regulations are what fund WCTV, Tewksbury Telemedia, community That's media, right. in every almost every community in this state. 
Um, and, and this is trying to bring some of the, those streaming providers, those new entrants in the last decade, up to the same set of standards that cable TV. That's right. Can you tell me what makes sense in this bill to you? Well, it all does. I mean, community TV, and uh, I promise you I'm not just thanking you for, for inviting me on, but community TV is absolutely vital. Um, it makes aware folks of impacts right in their neighborhood. It brings accessibility and accountability to officials like me who have to get up here and answer questions and you know, can't exactly hide from anything. It makes sure that our kids' plays and sporting events and that are captured for folks who, you know, maybe grandma and grandma can't travel across the country or, or, or our aunt and uncle are busy with work and, and then have, it, it, it really broadcasts and puts the best step forward with at home. So when these streaming services emerged, much like Amazon did, it didn't make much sense to talk to traditional brick and mortar or your traditional media outlets and they go, well, we have this and these other folks aren't contributing and in every purpose of the same sense, they function exactly the same as us. Mm -hmm. And the streaming service market is so tightly contested right now, it won't ultimately fall on the consumer. The companies themselves have to incorporate into that price. When there's true competition in the market, something that is always absorbed by the company. And to me, that was a minor thing to preserve a treasure like WCTV or Tewksbury Telemedia to make sure that folks can still be in touch with their local officials. They can watch that planning meeting. They know when Tewksbury was debating its new school, they could watch the informational videos, what it looked like, how are we gonna pay for it? How many kids are even going for it? Community TV provides real direct education, talks about real hyper-local issues, and to me, that's a small thing for the streaming services to pick up and contribute their fair share. Again, for conducting business that for all intents and purposes, it's the same exact way. It's like with, with difference between taxis and Ubers. In my mind, they should be treated one and the same because they provide the same functionality. No different here with, with your traditional media outlets and your streaming services, and I, I again, I just, I think everything that WCTV, Tewksbury Telemedia, and your counterparts across the state do, are invaluable. So great. Well, thanks for your support right now on this on, on this, Dave. So Always happy to dedicate it. that. Um, State House takes a, a legislative break in August, uh, but as as you, you said, it, the work doesn't stop. That's right. Um, tell me what the next next month looks like for you. Constituent, constituent, constituent. Um, this past week was busy. Obviously, the joint budget got returned, and then we uh, spent some time on what was called the Greenworks project. And uh, as I was on the committee. I'll take a moment to brag. That was an initiative by Speaker DeLeo, and it was championed by Chair Golden and Chair Pignatelli, who's the Chair of Environment, and a lot of others that would um, allow a, a billion dollars over the next 10 years to be released to municipalities for infrastructure upgrade, primarily to protect along uh, the effects of climate change. So that could be anything from increasing culverts around police and fire stations to ensure first responders aren't getting flooded out of their own um, police department to allowing water or electrical districts like Reading Municipal Light to say, well, geez, in the next 10 years, we're supposed to have 30-something days, which approach almost 100 degrees, mm -hmm. and, and that's projected pretty universally by, by folks within their respective science, uh, within their fields of science. Reading Municipal might need to realize, well, we need to invest in, in bigger coolers for our infrastructure, we're gonna have a brownout mm -hmm. or a blackout, which could be deadly. So. Um, there was a lot of good debate on that, and that's what we spent the last week preparing on um, in the couple previous weeks to do so. Now in August, my goal is to make sure I continue addressing some of the longer-term constituent issues which folks reached out to me, and, and I love my constituent work, though sometimes that uh, 
you know, it's, it's a hard balancing act, so I want to make sure I, I, I still continue to care for those and take care of individuals' issues. Um, but I also want to make sure that I prime and ready legislation that I had filed, whether it was pertinent to only Tuxbury or Wilmington or if it was for the whole state, and set those up for success so that when we return at the end of August, we can continue to hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. Things like land transfers in Tuxbury or ways to uh, increase the senior uh, tax relief circuit breaker or things of that nature, which are important to us. You know, it's an opportunity. Um, doesn't mean that, you know, I sit there on the beach and kick my feet up and have a drink. It's more of a wipe off the sweat, take a look, set the pace again, get back to running. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about Wilmington issues here. Anything specific in Tewksbury going on right now for folks who might be watching um, there? To, to oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had some great successes there. Um, working with the Board of Selectmen, we got also a lot of Route 38 done there. I'm very happy to see that the state's taking interest in, in, in Route 38, though uh, I suspect that Rose issues will be around for a long, long while, as, as hard as we work at it, just because of the volume and the growth and the attraction people have to this area. But for those in Tewksbury, um, from Colonial Drive up to New Boston Road, right through the center of town. Um, that's going to be worked on. Um, we're working on getting it repaved where the water main project is going on right now. Actually, that's going to be done. It's not like we even have to pretend we're uh, you know, somewhere in the process that, that's signed off. Mm -hmm. um, and in addition to that, Livingston Street, which I grew up playing baseball on, um, was transferred officially to the town. The town now finally owns Livingston Street. And... Um, that process first started in 1963. Mm. Um, very surprising, but that's wrapped up. The town, uh, the town residents voted to con uh, construct the new elementary school. So the first couple weeks back when I was, I wasn't even sworn yet, but that was talking with the MSBA and the treasurer's office. And we got over $39 million in state reimbursement for that project. Um, and you know, working with the town manager over there, we also got an earmark to help subsidize an ambulance. Um, so that way folks in town don't have to wait for Wilmington or Barricka or Lowell to respond. We'll have full, full battalion coverage. And in fact, God forbid something tragic ever happened in Wilmington, the residents here can know that Tewksbury has an ambulance standing by ready right there at the town line to come across and lend a hand as neighbors do. That's good. Great. Yeah, it's all local focus, and I'm loving it. You mentioned constituent services. We're going to put your email up on screen, phone number up on screen. What, what's the best That's way it. to reach you, and, um, and, and why should somebody reach you if, if they need For help? For any reason. I, at this point, uh, working as, a, as the staff director for so many years and, and now uh, having the privilege and pleasure of serving as your representative, I do everything from asking and directing people on questions about wills to their trash not being picked up to... Uh, how do I file a visa to go travel abroad? Uh, military service. I had an interesting one the other day about lost discharge papers and security clearances. If I can't answer it to you directly, I certainly can refer you to the right person that does. So they can call for any issue, no matter how big and small, right at the office. And I begin every morning by meeting with folks one-on-one -on -one here in town. We can go to Dunkin' Donuts. I, I'm more of a, a Donna's Donuts slash heavenly guy, but that's me. I'll buy you a coffee, and then I go right into the state house in the evening. So anyone that has a problem, wants to know my opinion, can call and speak to me directly at any time. Good. It was a few weeks ago. How was your 4th of July? I know you hit up festivities in both towns. Wonderful. It was, it was wonderful. I, uh, the carnival was above and beyond as, as usual, and uh, I, stayed away from, uh, <laughs> I stayed away from the yard games because I'm just terrible at them. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I love serving the people, but uh, I guess my secret is I don't have great hand-eye coordination. So uh, I, I, I had fun watching the families, catching up with the folks in town, chatting with them, hearing what their issues are, what they liked and what they haven't liked, what I've done so far. And uh, I was proud to say it was mostly in the former category. I didn't really encounter anyone with complaints. And, uh, oh, I, I just, my hat's off to both the Tokesbury and Wilmington 4th of July committee. Uh, there's a reason all these folks from surrounding towns or even New Hampshire come all the way down to hang out with us on the 4th of July. Yeah. So kudos to them. Great. Dave, anything else? No, I just look forward to seeing you in a couple months uh, with some more updates and uh, look forward to anyone out there who might have some follow-up questions with uh, reaching out. Perfect. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me again, Sean. All right. Really a pleasure. And thanks again for watching. Again, this is Discourse on WCTV. You can watch this online or on TV or through WCTV app. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>